Yes, recording. The first thing I'd like to ask is, does anybody have any questions or comments about what happened during the exercise? And I guess to encourage that a bit, um, uh, I'd say, in particular, that sort of pause, the, the concerted out breath and the pause, any impressions or um, anything come to mind around that? If it's okay, if not, but if, if anybody had any questions about that as an exercise, I'd, I'd love to hear them. So um, feel free to raise your hand and we can, we can talk about it. All right. You, everybody, oh yes, please. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, uh, you, I think you can unmute yourself. I'm pretty sure, but anyway, go for it. You have to be unmuted. I, I just said this is kind of a functional question, but I, you know, I felt tension in that area, both at the sort of, peak of my inhale as well as the exhale mm -hmm. kind of like you know at the end of the exhale there was supposed to be less tension so i don't know if i was just understanding that wrong or well and uh, here's what i'd say so the, the 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 intention of the exercise is to keep a little bit of tension in your hara through the out breath right and even right down into the into the bottom of the out breath right and then when your when your when your diaphragm is signals to you that you want it wants you to breathe in um, to keep your attention there, but you don't have to work so hard at at at, at keeping tension in your hara, right? So you can you can allow the breath to just flow freely through the body. But the truth is, the the tension in your hara doesn't hinder your breath. So it doesn't, it's really okay. It doesn't really matter actually. But the way I usually do it is I kind of keep that tension there until the breath is all the way out. I wait till the breath wants to come in. And then I kind of let it go for a second. And then kind of reassert it and hold it as the breath um, breathes out. Does that, does that make sense or what do you think? No, that, that's really helpful. And I've never heard the term hara before. So that's it's literally just right below your belly button is kind of the area you're well it's but yeah, below your belly button and in the middle of the body. It, what it feels like to me is like the the very bottom of your of your diaphragm. There's this sort of group of muscles that you can you can kind of you know sort of control. You can sort of tense them or relax them and they 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 get entangled with your the muscles in your pelvic floor, but it's a, you know, if you, if you ever do yogic ujjayi breathing, it's, it's, it's the lock that people use while they're, you know, in, in that, that and a lock in the throat, which we don't use sitting zazen actually, that people use to kind of hold the breath in, in kind of this space and control it in this space basically. And it's, it's a, it's a component of, martial arts practice, Tai Chi, um, and, and Zazen, right? So um, anyway, so it's, it's, it's useful to kind of know about, and actually I had this experience once where 
Paul, my teacher, Paul Haller invited uh, a Rinzai teacher who was also a kendo master to Zen Center to give a week-long workshop, more than week-long workshop, just in the development of the of an awareness of the hara in in breathing and it's amazing if you do that it really is remarkable like the what i noticed for me probably told this story before but um when i went in to this workshop i was i was sitting a lot of zazen i was still kind of uh, playing a lot of of live music and i was i was also ramping up a lot of um sitting at a desk, um, uh, pounding away on a computer. And so my shoulders and arms and hands were all just like tingly and weird and go, would go numb and unnumb and so on and so forth. And I, we do these exercises for like 45 minutes or something like that. And at the end, my muscles would feel all like soft and fluid and warm and all that stuff went away. It was amazing actually. And, and, uh, um, over time, you just sort of incorporate it into your practice in life, and it's pretty beneficial. So I would, I would say um, it's worth, worth looking at if you um, have a chance, right? Um, so any, any other questions or, or comments? Good. So... I won't say that's not what I wanted to talk about today because actually it's it's totally related, but uh, it's but also kind of obliquely related. So if you um, if you read the the blurb on this talk, it was called something like "I me mine a um, uh, um, helpful guide to self construction" or something like that or a helpful and detailed guide to self-construction. And, and, and here's how it works. And here's how it relates to the thing that we're we just doing in this exercise, right? Um, the, if you read the Pali Canon at all, uh, the original discourses of the Buddha um, and, and, and then if you segue into the, the, the Mahayana literature that was released after that and, and so on, um, they all pretty much agree that the, that the problem for humans and the reasons why we suffer are all pretty deeply entangled with this notion that we have that, that there's a separate self, right? There, that I have a, I have a separate self that, that has that's significantly apart from the rest of the world and from other beings like cats and from uh, things like pebbles and tiles and walls and 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 that that causes a tremendous amount of trouble and you can see how that causes trouble right so not only do we imagine ourselves as having a separate self, but we also invest that self with importance and um, power and um, attention and so on. And not surprisingly, since that, that separate self 
is the is the focus of a bunch of pretty powerful gifts that we've been given by really evolution, right? Um, which are the reason why we can stay alive. Right? So and those things are our ability to use like highly articulated um, or grammaticized and, and, and language and highly symbolicated language um, with a huge vocabulary and, and a very complex way of constructing um, uh, sentences such that we can talk about, you know, past, future, conditionality, all the rest of that sort of thing. Big deal, right? Um, and that we can use that use that language and our our natural capacities, our mental capacities to do um, uh, do complex long range planning. We can that sometimes that's sometimes actually played out as a narrative. You tell stories to yourself about what you could do, and sometimes is um, plays out in a more sort of mysterious way that has to do with images, sensations, you know, sense memory and so on. But in any case, we, we plan and imagine. And, and we do this all in a, in a, in a very rich multi-layered con social context that um, allows, allows large groups of people humans to do things together and um, help each other survive, but also um, compete in the context of that social framework for resources, um, food, you know, space, and so on and so forth, right? So that's the, that's the ground of a human life, right? That's the, that's, those are the capabilities that we bring to a human life that allow us to to be human um, that enable us to be human and kind of be successful at it whatever that means and that's a complicated question right um, so having said that all of those things require a pretty richly um, endowed and articulated sense of self right? the the um, the ability to speak at very least requires the notion of a speaker and a spoken to a listener and 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 a um, an overhearer and all the rest of that sort of thing, right? And requires that we have a a vast library of things we could say in the moment, which are, if you, if you study your inner life carefully, you'll realize that that's always going on. There, there's always this activity at the back of your mind that's like, well, you could say this, you could say this. <laughs> it's, it's running a lot of the time, right? Maybe not when you're asleep, but even when you're asleep, if you're dreaming, um, uh, you know, not when you're under general anesthesia. And and so on, but a lot of the rest of the time, there's a there's a multi-layered narrative going on that suggests, among other things, things that you could say and do, right? Um, and so there's that, and the same thing is true for 
for both the the our capacity for planning and our our really rich capacity for sociality right it it requires a multi-layered highly articulated notion of self and the capacities that that self has in the world right and in 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 particular in the context that we're talking about the the social and physical world that a human being lives in pretty much all the time um, we make a model for that world. We make a model for the self. We place the self in the middle of that world and we crank, turn the crank on it and, and run it, right? That's kind of what we do. Um, and there's not a whole lot we can do about that, but you can imagine that, um, it doesn't take it doesn't take much imagining because we're all familiar with it to to notice how that causes conflicts right so the the one of the under underpinnings or drivers of that mental activity around construction of the self um, is our emotional life that you know assertions about the self and and the activities of the self are almost always underpinned with strong emotion, negative or positive. Um, and and that and in the um, in the social context that goes along with that, um, those strong emotions can be are the obvious ones. They can be uh, pleasurable agreement, a sense of communal connection, or they can be anger and frustration. They can be, uh, they can be, you know, violent rage, right? Um, all of these things arise in this context because of, of either agreements or different, different disagreements between selves who are invested in their, um, in their ideas, worldviews, um, uh, senses of safety or entitlement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, and, and that's where a lot of human suffering arises, right? In fact, the vast majority of human suffering arises out of that. Um, and one of the Buddha's responses to that was to say, actually, what is that? Oh, um, actually, that sense of um, of a separate self is illusory. There's actually no persistent, self-consistent um, uh, uh, you know, we often imagine ourselves as kind of the the heroic figure in some some narrative that we're carrying about ourselves and our place in the world, right? There, none, none of that is actually is actually real. It's a it's a, the self itself is a construct, and those ideas and narratives and so on are 
art, delusive um, fictions. Right? Um, that's a, those are pretty those are pretty strong words, but um, but if you look at it from the from well, they're they're pretty strong words, and they can be they can be disconcerting to um, to the mind when the mind is is deeply embedded in the activity of sort of self-construction, self-reification, uh, and, you know, selfing, to use self as a verb, right? Um, but one of, the, one of the gateways to a realization that that's actually, that, that the Buddha is right, and that's actually not the case, or that, it, that is to say, um, the the self it, it actually is illusory. Our, our assertion that the self is real and monolithic and so on is false, right? Is, is exactly the kind of exercise that we are just doing when, when, you, when we were breathing like that, right? So, and now that, that's, that's how the, these two things connect, right? The, The interesting thing about Zazen, um, again, so what Dogen says about Zazen is Zazen is a form of self-study that in the middle of that self-study, you discover it's possible to forget the self, to put, put down the burden of the self, um, at least for a moment, right? And the one of the places where that becomes possible is in that pause at the bottom of the breath, right? And you can you can practice that um, continuously, um, and in this kind of cyclical manner where it's like breathe out, let go, and then. Breathe in, trust whatever is going on now, and then breathe out, let go. And down in that pause, the, the activity of self-construction, self-narration, and so on is at least softer and actually may settle kind of completely for a moment or two. It, all it takes is a moment or two to see that there's an alternative, right? Um, hmm. And what is that alternative to exactly, right? I mean, obviously, from the from the conventional point of view and from the point of view of the of sort of relative mind. Um, the notion that we have a self is pretty, um, pretty well developed, right? Um, and even from the other point of view, from the point of view of the of the that sort of spacious, unloaded awareness, right? It's clear that we have 
this body. We have this mind that's, you know, constantly generating thoughts and feelings and so on. And we have, um, we have memory in particular that, that crops up even in the midst of, of, you know, out, out of, of quiet spaciousness, right? Um, so that stuff doesn't actually go away, interestingly enough. It's not that, it's not that you stop having thoughts, memories, sensations, and all the rest of it. I mean, that would be bad. In fact, that would be terrifying, right? Is if, if um, the result of Zazen was kind of this total blankness, but that's not what it's about, right? The thing that you let go of is, is, is a particular sense of, of ownership and entitlement about the objects of the senses, um, the, the, you know, the ca capacities of the body, the, um, the, uh, the thoughts and, and emotions and other um, mental activity that arises. We don't, you just, it's possible to just drop our sense of ownership and entitlement around it. Um, and that makes a huge difference, right? And let's see what time is it. Mainly what I wanted to say about that is that that sense of ownership and entitlement, the way in which we feel that we own things, right? But also mental states, capacities, experiences, uh, memories, and so on and so forth. Um, it's, it's a huge burden, right? It's, it's as though during the course of our life, we collect this massive kind of, of mental bric-a-brac, right? Um, you know, memory, memories of the beach when I, you know, going to the beach when I was six. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, memories of being, you know, um, uh, you know, um, of, of loving in vain my, the first person I loved in high school and et cetera, all of that, right? We, and we, we think of those things fundamentally as our own, right? And, and the, our language is full of this sort of, uh, this sort of assertion, right? You, we say, it's my idea, right? We say, it's my memory. We say, this is my cat, right? I, you know, I've stopped saying this is my cat because he's clearly his own cat. But um, we, 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 but, but I have to say, if you were to, if you were tomorrow, tomorrow to tr try and and you know, move to somebody else's house because he just moved in here because he was hungry, basically. Um, I would feel a sense of of loss that, and and would have to grieve in a way that that could only result from the from being parted from something that I have a certain sense of ownership and entitlement of. And I just, I, I'd have to let it go, right? But, uh, um, but fundamentally that, 
the the basis of the burden of the self is this sense of ownership right and so to just to to over time shift that relationship so that it doesn't feel so binary right either i have it or i don't right um is kind of the essence of practice right and it's the way that we can make the that burden of the self and the the difficulty that involved that arises out of um out of our insistence on a separate self you know settle and um and become less problematic less of a less of a driving force in our lives right um so does anybody have any questions about that before we move on? I had a couple of questions that we could also talk about in a group context or a small group context, but does anybody have any questions about that? Um, for, for now, I think you can just unmute, but, if, but in any case, raise your hand if you like. Go ahead, Reese. Hi, Zachary. Hi. It's nice to see you. Good to see you too. It's great. Cool. So, hmm, I was listening to your talk and I feel like I get it, but Mm -hmm. it's like, but like in, in more technical terms, you know, so I guess I'm like kind of trying to see like, could we have an example just so like we could get a sense of like what this actually looks like and feels like, like maybe an example of like, this, like one situation, but maybe how one could, <clears throat> what'd you say, hold attachment to it or ownership of it. And then, and then in contrast, an example of what it might look like and feel like to just not have any kind of attachment or ownership to it. Yeah, exactly. So that's, so it's a great question. So here's a, here's an example from my experience with practice, um, I think I've probably told this story before, but um, so a number of years ago um, on successive, successive years, I had, I did winter retreats at Tassajara. And the first one was this very um, sort of powerful moving experience. There was a lot of things about the practice period that were, that were, uh, were pretty ferocious. The the weather, the um, the practice, the group of people there were very intense, and the people I was sitting with were very intense. And I had some really, really well. I, all I can say is intense experiences. I was um, I hallucinated being swallowed by a giant fish late at night um, while sitting zazen in the in the zendo with a bunch of people, and I it, I got such a adrenaline rush from it. I mean, on, literally I was, um, I, I was sitting there and all of a sudden I dropped into this full body hallucination where I, where there's this giant fish swimming around in this deep, vast pool with me. And he went by me. I could see his eye was about this big, right. And he sort of went by and he went way out and he turns around and he comes straight at me and he opens his mouth and just goes clump like that. And, and, and I, I had, I had this like, I was like, ah, 
rain. And I, I, when I went back to the cabin at the end of the evening to, to go to sleep. My hair was still kind of standing on it, right? I mean, it was really, really, so it was, it was really, the whole thing was a very intense experience. And then the next year, I, I went back to Tassajara, right? Um, and I, I got about halfway through the retreat and I was like, wow, you know, I'm really struggling and I'm not liking any of this very much. And I kind of, I kind of settled and watched it. And I realized what was going on was that somewhere deep down inside, I, I had, I had planted this expectation that, that I was going to I was going to recreate some form of that really intense, powerful experience again, like my, you know, my retreat this time was going to be like the last one, you know? So, and what did I just say? I said, my retreat, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, and that, and, and I said, my experience, right? It's like, I, I had this notion that I owned that experience and I was even kind of somewhat entitled to it. And that, that I, I was, I was, frustrated and annoyed that it wasn't happening again right um and all it took was that recognition and then all of a sudden it seemed absurd and it was kind of easy to let it go and interestingly the the retreat thereafter was was marvelous and delightful in its own way it just didn't involve being swallowed by a giant fish right so th that's an that's an example and the reason I use that example is that that um, that it's not just things that we feel like we own, right? And that, and it's not just you know our body parts and uh, and you know our phones and and you know maybe the cats and so on and so forth. It's it's really like a lot. There we the in some ways it's the whole complex of memory and um, expectation and all the rest of that sort of thing that we bring along with us, it, it, it's, we're, we're inclined on the face of it to think of it as our property, as, as our stuff, right? And, and basically it's not. And when we, when we run up against that, that truth that it's not, that it can be frustrating and, and difficult. And then here's one other example, right? Um, when I was in this terrible car crash a while ago, right? And I, I came home after spending a day in the hospital and everybody making sure that I wasn't, you know, like going to die easy, instantly, right? And went to bed and I got up in the morning and I've never been so immobile in my entire life. It was, it, it was like every time I moved any of these muscles from about here all the way down to here, um, it would feel like somebody was hitting me in the back with a sledgehammer. It was terrible, right? And, and what I remember is that when I realized how immobile I was, it, was, it felt it, the sensation, and I don't mean sensation as in physical sensation, I, I mean the mental sensation was like I was drowning. It was like this desperation that rose up out of nowhere. It was like, I have to move, right? Um, and where does that come from? It comes from this, from this idea that 
I, I understand, I understand my body, I control my body and, you know, all these, my words, right. And that my body should do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Right. And, and that, and that, that notion is really, really super important to me. i part, probably partly because I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a physical person and I do a lot of stuff. Right. You know, that, um, but, but I think everybody has a taste of that. Right. And, it 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 was a it was a real effort to settle that down and then to go through the kind of process of literally figuring out from first principles how I was going to be able to move and and like I think I said this but at, at least once but it took me about somewhere between half an hour and forty minutes just to get myself levered up to a um, halfway sitting position so I could, you know, drink a cup of coffee. Right. Um, but, but what was the, but the, the, the pain was one thing that was, that's not very good, but the suffering that was layered on top of that pain was, was, was really the problem. And the, the request was to go through this meticulous process of not adding over and over again, not adding suffering to the pain and just, just working with it without a sense of expectation or entitlement, right? Uh, so, do, so does that make sense or does that help? Cool, cool, cool. Um, any other questions? Thank you for the question, by the way, Risa. Yeah. Anyone else? Well, okay. So there's there's uh, the way I read the um, read the screen right now. There's nine of us. I'm going to put some questions in the um, in the chat, and maybe we can break up into 